Welcome to the Get Out and Try podcast. I'm your host, Katie Axel. This episode is brought to you by Miracle at Big Rock. The holidays are here, and Big Rock Creek in St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin is so proud to present the biggest holiday spectacular that the St. Croix Valley has ever seen. Step into the holiday magic this season with Miracle at Big Rock for good old-fashioned family fun. You're going to be dazzled by the millions of Christmas lights that surround you as you travel through the different themes that they have, including Frozen Land, the Enchanted Forest, Whoville, and many more. There's also going to be food trucks, an indoor heated holiday market, cocktails for you, cocoa and s'mores for the kids, sledding, fireworks, and of course, Santa's going to be there. Jump on board the Miracle helicopter to see the lights from the sky. Don't miss it. Miracle at Big Rock runs from November 26th through January 2nd. Free parking is available for you. Skip the line and buy your tickets in advance at miracleatbigrock.com. Samantha Grimes, international rock star. Yes, international. We can actually say that because the music is international and gaining a lot of traction. Would you believe I am very popular in Israel? That's amazing. So what charts are you looking at when you see that? So Spotify releases their own um, independent charts. And then there's also an independent alternative rock chart, which is the closest designation for my genre. That's awesome. That's got to be so fun to see. It's it's funny because I'm working with uh, a promoter now and she was saying, she's like, well, what parts of those countries are you really popular? And I'm like, why? She's like, well, what if you want to go there? I'm like, are we going to the Ukraine? Right. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I want to kind of start back at the beginning and pick your brain about how music has kind of shaped your life because it's such a big part of your life now that you are signed. And I want to get into that, but you've always been a musician from what you and I have talked about in the past. Oh, yes. Yes. Short story long. My father was a DJ way back in the 70s. And my mom used to sing at bars. <laughs> and it, it was one of those things I was kind of it was in my blood. I was born. And when I was very, very little, my dad would bring home duplicate copies of the albums for the radio stations and twirl me around listening to Foreigner and Boston. <laughs> and I just, I, I fell in love with it. And for my fifth Christmas, so when I was five, I asked Santa for a guitar because I was going to be just like the Eagles. <laughs> and I was going to be famous and play their songs. When I was little, you know, everyone always asked because I play left-handed and upside down. They ask how that wasn't corrected is the biggest question I always get. And when you're little, like I was, you have this big guitar and I couldn't hold it upright. So I always laid it on my lap, like a steel guitar or a slide. And that's where I, I learned most of my first couple chord progressions were on my lap. And then as I got a little bigger, I moved it up, but I never realized that I should have probably flipped it at that point. And by the time that anyone actually noticed what I was doing, it was already so ingrained that I couldn't switch it. <laughs> You, you normally play your, the chords with your right hand, correct? Yes, correct. Yep. So I have a regular standard right-handed guitar, like I'm sure you have. Yep. Um, and, and I play it left-handed, but most people that do that will restring the guitar to be okay. left-handed. Many people who do that restringing, their high E is on the bottom um, yep. and their low E is on the top. But for me, my low E is on the bottom and my high E is on the top. And that actually... I think that's what's contributed the most to my sound other than my songwriting is just having that more rhythmic nature because I hit those 
bottom couple strings more often than not when I'm playing. And so that kind of evolved into the style that comes out now. So when was the first time that you actually played in front of a crowd? I have, I have a cousin who is a very talented musician. His name is Will Hale and he plays, um, he does songwriting of his, his own um, more mature nature, but he also is a very gifted and well-respected children's musician. And he, about when I was 16, he asked if I wanted to play a couple songs at um, a band shell. I remember there was a decent sized group there and I played two of my original songs that I had written and, and I was hooked for me. It's the mixture of, you know, you get that little bit of attention, that self-confidence, but also having people react and, or interpret your music in a way that matters to them. That's just, it was so cool. That was the start. Then I started picking up gigs all over. When I turned 18, I set my sights on playing clubs. Like that's what everybody in the music business was doing. They were playing, you know, first Avenue or the fine line or all these but it was very hard to get into a place like that when you're a solo act. So everyone said, put a band together. And I put together my first band when I was 18. And we had so much fun. We played all over. And that's actually when I released my first CD was 2006. So I would have been 19 at that point. Wow. So what did that process look like putting out your own CD? A lot different than it looks like today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, everything was physical at that mm-hmm. point, you know, um, streaming really wasn't a thing yet. I remember going into the studio, I did the music and printed a thousand copies of the whole CD and I, I sold them out. I remember uh, within a year, which yeah. not too bad for, you know, your first kind of endeavor into that, especially with no promotion. And I didn't have a label or anything like that to back me up. And so it was a lot of hustling and selling them at shows. At that point, you know, I had kind of set my sights on making more music and releasing more music, but then life kind of took over. And that's where I took a break for several years where I really wasn't playing at all. Okay. From about 2010 to 2016, I wasn't playing at all, but I was, I was racing uh, mountain bikes at that time. That was my other passion. So what happened in 2016 to make you pick up your guitar again? There was a gentleman in Osceola that was opening up a music studio. And my husband's cousin had told me, she's like, this guy's opening up the studio. He's having a studio, like soft opening where you can come in. And she asked if I would go with her. She's like, I know you used to play music. And I think it'd be fun for you to see, you know, kind of uh, this little river town have in this studio. And so I went with her and... You know, there's a lot of people milling around, but in the corner of this studio was like a pile of guitars just hanging out and nobody was looking at them. And all I thought was, why is nobody playing music at a music studio? (laughs) So (laughs) I was introduced to the gentleman and I said, you wouldn't mind if I just grabbed one of those (laughs) and played. And so I uh, whipped out one of my older songs and just played that and everybody really dug it. And it was like, like a light went on again, where I remembered how it felt to have people listen and to actually care about the music that I had written. It, it kind of just relit the flame. And I knew I wanted to get back into it. I'm kind of always grateful that I, from that studio came my EP, which is called Trilogy, which was released in 2019. And that has three songs that were recorded there. And those are my more popish <laughs> sounding yeah. songs, uh, very piano based. And it was funny because when I got into that, I realized how drastically the world had changed. You know, I thought, well, when do we print the disc? And they're like, what disc? <laughs> oh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> That's not a thing. If you want to do that, it's going to be extra, extra money. Yeah. You don't get to have anything to physically hold. 
Right, exactly. It was kind of a cool little uh, intro into new technology at that point. Yeah, absolutely. At that point was when I had worked with these musicians that we had brought in. And, and one of them turned out to be a former drummer of mine from when I was performing uh, in my youth. And working with him again just kind of sparked that concept of how desperately I really wanted a band put back yeah. together. So, yeah, and that's where that kind of excitement started to rear its head. And after that point is when I put out feelers to form the band that I have now. So where do those feelers go? Into the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Going to blow into this glitter and then let it out into the air. That's pretty much it. Just (laughs) send out the vibes. Yeah. See what the universe gives me. No, actually, um, I had become good friends with Bob, who owns Redbird Music Store in Osceola, Wisconsin. And I told him that I was really interested in putting a band together. And he right away had mentioned a gentleman by the name of Nick Engelhart. And at that point, I had no idea who anybody was. I mean, I've, I've been in this area for over 10 years now, and I, I didn't know any of the musicians. I didn't know anybody to connect with. And he gave me Nick's information, and I had called him. And on the phone, I remember thinking to myself, what, what is this guy? Because he was talking about playing guitar. And I'm like, no, I, I need a drummer. <laughs> He's like, oh, I play drums too. <laughs> Oh, okay. Perfect. So uh, we made a date to get together and kind of, yeah, it's one of those where it's a music platonic date where you kind of see if you're a good blend with each other's personalities. Cause if you can't get along with people you play music with, there's no point. Um, but we played together and he was, he was very intuitive. Is there an awkward oh, yeah. moment at the beginning where you're like, do you want to go first or should I? <laughs> like- yeah. Well, and and honestly, because I was pretty upfront with the fact that I I was putting together a band to play my music, you know, Mm -hmm. and you always want to tread that fine line of being like, it's, it's my music. I wrote this. This is, you know, you want to leave some of it open to interpretation for them because they must take some creative license in what they're presenting. Otherwise, I'm sure it doesn't, I'm sure it feels forced if you have to play it in a certain way. And I just, I remember looking at him and I said, okay, I'm going to play this first song. Tell me what you think. See if it's something you're into. And right away he was like, yeah, yeah, I can groove on this. And so he started playing along with me for a couple more songs and it just, it fit. And I remember we had a gig set up at the art barn. They were having an outdoor like shoppers bazaar thing and had asked if I would play there. And so it was just Nick and I drums guitar and then I do play some piano and it was funny because normally you think of a band there's got to be a bass or something covering those bass notes and the gig went really well it we we definitely kind of jived in a good way and it was at that point that we kind of both agreed that as much fun as we were having we weren't going to be playing the gigs that we wanted to unless we filled out the sound of the band a little bit more Um, and at that point he had brought up a name of somebody that he knew that might be interested. Now at this point, this guy, he was a drummer and a guitarist and a skateboarder, which he always wants to talk about, which is really cute. Um, but he said that this guy might be interested in playing bass, but he doesn't have a bass. So we're going to have to figure it out and he might not even be interested in playing. So we're gonna have to talk to him. 
And at the point I'm like, <laughs> it seems like a lot of work for someone with social anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we set up um, kind of a little get together. And before that actually transpired, I had sent John, John Larson is his name. I sent my music, my YouTube link, uh, so that he could get a feel for if it's even something he was interested in. And I got the sweetest note back. It was uh, basically like, hey, this is John. I know we're going to meet up and see if it'd be a good fit. I just wanted to let you know I've been playing your music nonstop, and I really, really like it. And I would like to see if there's a place for me. And so then we're talking, we're like, well, how about I bring a bass for you to try? You know, being a guitarist, some of that might translate. Now, for me on bass, I can't play bass worth anything. Um, so. I was very impressed when he was able to pick it up and without too much struggle, pick out the bass lines for multiple um, songs of mine. And that's where we kind of, we kind of knew it was all kismet because it was within maybe two or three weeks that he had everything down pat. And from that point, we started booking shows. Wow. What was your first show that you booked as a band, as a full band? So that's where it gets funny. So once we got our sound kind of locked in and we were had developed a really good set, the pandemic happened and the uh. lockdown started. So <laughs> we're like, well, I don't know how we're going to do this. Um, and at that point, I had been following kind of the social contract of other bands were listing, you know, their virtual tip jars and they were playing Facebook lives and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, that that's not a bad idea to be able to play um, and have people hear us, but have it in a safe environment. And that's where uh, a gentleman by the name of Nate Way comes in. Nate had himself a basically a performance venue in his house. He set it up so that he could live stream concerts for bands during the pandemic. And so the first show that we did all together was um, they call it the way station. So, and you can find that performance on YouTube, um, the hour long set that we did. And it was so much fun. It was completely different than any show I'd ever done in the past, regardless of whether I was alone or with a band. And, and yet it was just super fun. We had a great time and it, uh, the sound quality was really good. Did it feel kind of like a jam session because you don't have the yeah. reaction of the audience right there? In a way, I mean, we had, there were a couple people um, that were kind of an audience, I suppose you would call them, um, was one of them was my drummer, Nick, his girlfriend, Rebecca was there. And then surprisingly enough, a very good friend of mine, uh, his name is Scott Yonke. He is with a band called Jojo Green that I have a show with later in December. Um, and the Nate Way was his roommate. So, <laughs> so he just waltzed downstairs and was an audience member for our performance, which was really, really cool. Wow. That's awesome. So yeah, you say that again, it was called the way, the way station. So the yeah, way- if you go on YouTube, do a little YouTubing okay. um, and look up the, the way station and then Samantha Grimes, you'll find the whole set. And then you can look at kind of how far we've come because I mean, we were, we did a good job and we had fun, but it's so funny picking out idiosyncrasies where we weren't as gelled as we are now. Yeah. And that was obviously March ish of 2020. Yeah. I think, oh gosh, what would have been March or April, I believe. Um, 
Yeah. And, and then from there, then we started, you know, it started to warm up and shows were more available outside. Uh, so we played that and, and then kind of kept honing our sound as time went on and things got a little looser for restrictions. And then for this summer, we just went gangbusters. We played so many shows. We had such a blast. Um, and, and things have just been snowballing, uh, since then. So it's been really cool. So where does the record deal come in? We're going to pause here and leave that cliffhanger until next week. Stay tuned for part two next week when we learn about how Samantha Grimes landed her deal with Sony. Visit samanthagrimesmusic.com to check out music, upcoming shows, and all things Samantha Grimes. That wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the podcast. That's one of those small ways that you can help support the podcast and help others find it. Make sure you're also visiting getoutandtry.com often, keeping you connected to the calendar of fun and happenings in the St. Croix Valley. Until next time, find some ways to connect with your community. Support those hardworking small businesses that host all the fun in the Valley. Go, get out and try.